Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, Buddy C. We have Marla H. and Lala M. and Paul H. with us today. Glad to see you guys. I'm looking forward to our conversation today on this 53rd chapter. Some good stuff here. Good stuff, as always, as always. What I saw in this was talking about staying on the path and the things that take us off the path and being aware of those things and some of the actions we can take that keep us keep us walking that path that most of the time we're never aware we're even walking. But we are whether we realize it or not. Kirstie, you want to read for us today, dear? Do you mind? No, not at all. Okay. The first reading. If I ever, if I have even just a little sense, I will work, walk on the main road and my only fear will be of straying from it. Keeping to the main road is easy, but people love to be sidetracked. When the court is arrayed in splendor, the fields are full of weeds, and the granaries are bare. Some wear gorgeous clothes, some carry, carry sharp swords and indulge themselves with food and drink. They have more possessions they, than they can use. They are robber barons. This is certainly not the way of the Tao. Reading 2. The great way is easy, yet people prefer the side paths. Be aware when things are out of balance. Stay centred within the Tao. When rich spec- speculators prosper, while farmers lose their land, when government officials spend money on weapons instead of cures, when the upper class is extravagant and irresponsible, while the poor have nowhere to turn, all this is robbery and chaos. It is not in keeping with the Tao. Reading three. If I understood only one thing, I would want to use it to follow the Tao. My only fear would be one of pride. The Tao goes in the the level places, but but people prefer to take the shortcuts. If too much time is spent cleaning the house, the land will become neglected and full of weeds, and the granaries will soon become empty because there is no one out working the fields. To wear fancy clothes and ornaments, to have your fill of food and drink, and to waste all of your money buying possessions is called the crime of excess. Oh, how these things go against the way of the Tao. Reading 4. If I had any sense, I'd be trying to get right with with Tao, and the only thing I'd worry about would be messing up. It's not that hard to get right with Tao but people are easily distracted. When the king's palace is full of treasure, Lao Tzu said, ordinary people's fields are smothered with weeds and the food supplies run out. Today, you see sharply dressed people carrying flashy weapons and living the high life. They own more than they ever could could ever use, let alone need. They're nothing but gangsters and crooks. That's not what the Tao's about. 
So what is the Tao about? If it's not about that. It's about 10,000 things. The Tao. Any, any words of wisdom from that starting out? Any first impressions? Humility. Yeah. Balance. Balance. You have what you need. How about this idea of, they said the only fear would be straying from this path that we're so easily distracted from, right? Because uh, it's not hard to get right with Tao, but people are easily distracted. And I think the rest of this is talking about all of these distractions that get us. Mm-hmm. Focus. Paul, you have some? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say looking outside yourself for the answers when it should be the other way around. You should be looking within. That's what I get out of that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So today this is about how one thing I see is, is people love to be sidetracked. So this is a lot of learning how to identify when we're getting sidetracked. You know, when when we're not staying centered in the Tao, as they say. The third translation, what do you think about this? It says, if I understood one thing, I would want to use it to follow the Tao. My only fear is one of pride. If I had to pick one fear, it wouldn't be a fear of pride. <laughs> so if you could remove one fear, you had the, the fear genie showed up, right? Okay. <laughs> We can remove one fear. What would that fear be? I know what it would be. For me, it would be fear of not uh, finding my authentic self. It wouldn't be fear of losing the stuff I have. Right. I don't know where mine would be. I just had this thought. I'd never, I hadn't thought about that before, about the fear genie. But <laughs> <laughs> That's a really hard question. It is. Yeah. I'm scared of bloody everything. Yeah. 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 I, know, I agree with Marla. My biggest fear is not realizing my true self, my purpose. Yeah, I would like to think that would be the fear that I would want removed, but I don't know if I would be that noble. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of self-serving fears that are that are <laughs> popping up with that which shows how much growth I have to go. You know? <laughs> but, but the fear of pride would have never came to my attention at all. It wouldn't even made the top 10. No, I don't think that would have made my top 10. I'd like to feel proud sometimes, not of the things I have, but the things I've done and the person I am. Not, it has, you know, this, this chapter is talking about people with tons of possessions um, it's talking about pride in a different way. It's not talking about the kind of pride yeah. that you're talking. You're the pride you're talking about. Talking about sounds to me a lot like gratitude. Yeah, more like gratitude. Yeah. This is um, this is a different. This is the real pride that destroys us. The pride that sidetracks us. Help. Yes. Yes. 
I th- I think I think I've I think I've been there um, because I I I prided myself on on being the person that I thought I thought I should be, and then I lost all of that. And that was, if you'd have asked me six years ago, that would have been my biggest fear. Now, actually, having gone through that, I'm kind of glad it happened. And to lose, to lose material possessions means nothing to me anymore. Yeah. Because actually, I'm getting rid of all my past life i'm selling it all i you know because it's not me um okay don't get me wrong i still like nice stuff but you know um what what i what i would fear now i think most of all is is being on my own is abandonment but that's a lot that's a big thing that's a kind of a an ingrained condition yeah. thing yeah it is. What are you going to say, Lala? No, I was going to agree with the abandonment thing. I think I, I trace a lot of my drinking back to, you know, not that my parents were neglectful, but they were just workaholics. So I had a lot of anxiety due to abandonment. So I actually am using that now as trying to be alone in my own skin, you know, the discomfort of it to overcome it rather than getting codependent relationships or drinking over it. It's, it's the fear of, fear of being alone, but sitting in it and learning that it's not so bad. In other words, being, being abandoned doesn't mean being unloved. Right. And it really doesn't mean being alone. Yeah. That much. Hmm. Paul, you have something, sir? That is a good question about what is your biggest fear, boy. I <laughs> have to think about that one some more, I guess. But Definition of pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Arrived, uh, yeah. Derived from your own achievements. The achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Ego. Ego, yes. Ego, yes. So he tells us to watch for pride. Watch for pride. Then he goes on to describe a lot of this pride, I think. And all of these extravagance are, Wayne Dyer says, those are at the expense of others. And these things really distract us i never could when, when i used to buy real real good bit of real estate if someone came to me and didn't did not know what something was worth and was really pricing it to me at less than what the value was i never felt good about taking advantage of that and i think that's one aspect of this i never felt good about doing that and i never did I always are valuing something. Yeah. They, they, they had a piece of property mm-hmm. and like they had, um, they'd maybe inherited it or 
they just had no idea. It was mama's house and they were just trying to sell it and had no idea what it was really worth. Uh, I never felt good and never took advantage of that. Um, and that's some of this, I think, but it's any way that we gain at the loss of someone else uh, is, a, is a lot of this, the way I see it. Read a lot of politics in this or political issues, you know, where they spend a, a boatload of money on the, the military industrial complex, but yet there's people starving. Um, you know, that, that, that's a big issue, but that, that is written in this, and it's amazing to me how nothing has really changed all that much. Yeah. No, it hasn't. Yeah. Hey, I- I agree with that. I read that into it also. I remember after 9-11, I was thinking, God, all this money being spent on war and fighting back. I mean, imagine if we put that money into fighting cancer or poverty. And you're right. It's, this is written, I don't know how many, what, thousands of years ago? And About 2,500 to 5,000 years ago, somewhere along now. Yeah. Same problem. Same issues. Yeah, the robber barons are still with us, aren't they? They sure are. <laughs> <laughs> profiteers. You know, Wayne Dyer addresses that, and he the way he approaches it is that we start with us and that we, we, we work on changing us, and through changing us, we eventually work our way out, that, that it starts starts right here, right now, with each of us. He oh. asked that we see ourselves in everything, that we can not survive without this environment that we're in. We're, we're just, we are a part of everything. That's so hard for me. I, I do okay with starting to see myself and other people, but right now that I'm limited. <laughs> Seeing myself in everything is still so difficult for me to do. I'm, I'm working on people right now. <laughs> uh, well, human beings all come from really the same source. You know, we were amoebas. We were all amoebas with a, just a spine. Oh, um, oh, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, Marla. I'm, no, I'm, I'm saying that uh, that's, that's a hard one for me. That is very difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, what does it mean when you see yourself in everything? What's the meaning of that? It mean, To me, it means, um, it, in a bigger sense, the way that the, the universe works and how the stars and the, the molecules are always changing and evolving and growing into new things. We, were, we come from that same universe. You know, we weren't just plop down on the earth as fully formed human beings. We came from cells that grew, you know, first we were a spine, just a spine, and then we grew arms and legs, and then we grew a brain and a heart. And that just came out of evolution, you know, of cells multiplying. That's kind of the way I see it. We just happened to get, I don't know if it's luck, with with a brain, but um, we we got this brain where we can think. I don't know if that's lucky or if it's it's just a fluke of nature. We're a fluke of nature. 
Yeah, I can I can understand it from an evolutionary and almost a physical sense. So if if I look out into the sky, I know that I'm made up of the same elements and molecules, and and we, yeah. we you know developed from that pool of whatever it was, however many billions years ago. But in terms of seeing myself in others from a spiritual perspective, um, I think it's um, that's harder. Um, that's, for me, the hard bit when you look at someone and actually it's saying, well, actually, we're no different. It's just that our environment, our conditioning has been different. Our experiences have been different. Had you been, had you had the same life as me, you might have had the, you know, um, you know, you might, you might have been X, Y, or Z. It's a bit like, I don't know, being able to show compassion um, for everything out there, for every thing, living, inanimate, tangible, intangible. Um, and I'm kind of okay on a human scale and even pretty much with animals um everything that's hard when i first started seeing that kirsty was and i never saw this before i got into recovery but when i got into aa and really started recovering it was told to me that if i wanted relief from my alcoholism i needed to go help another alcoholic and i was like how in the world is that going to help me by helping someone I could not get my head around how that was going to benefit me in any way. Yeah. Maybe I should do that as a way of gratitude that I was grateful for being sober, but it's much more than that. It's actually the act of caring for someone else Mm -hmm. actually helps me to stay sober, the act itself. So that was when I started realizing, Hey, I'm much more connected to these people that I don't even like than what I really know. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, my liking them or disliking them or thinking I was part of or not, whatever made no difference at all. I'm still connected, even though I don't want to be, I am. It created compassion. It did. Which is another thing that I think alcoholics lack is compassion, especially for others. It's all about us. It's all about me, 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 me. In the act of addiction, it's very it's self-centered. Very self- it's selfish. It's very selfish. Very selfish, it is. I was going to say, for me, it starts just with the immediate people around. Like, I'm not going to go and see myself in, like, a white supremacist right now. <laughs> but... Like Christy was saying, I guess I can see how their situations or whatever happened in their lives led them down that path. But I usually need to start with the people close to me and have the ripple effect from there. Yeah, you know, I know I forgave my parents for whatever by understanding what they came from. And, you know, when you come from a Holocaust generation, you know, things aren't going to be all, you know, happy, dippy, dippy. So, Yeah, that was a big one for me, too, just forgiveness for the way my parents are. Yeah, because 
you're in blame and resentment, that just keeps you driven and selfish. Yeah. Exactly. This was uh, what Stephen Mitchell had to say about the 53rd chapter. He was quoting a Zen master. He said, the great way is not difficult if you don't cling to good and bad. Just let go of your preferences and everything will be perfectly clear. Let go of your preferences. Letting go of the good and bad. Letting go of your preferences. Does that not help us to break down that separateness? The good and bad, I'm already separating things. I'm, I'm putting this in this box and this in this box. Yeah. So I'm making these separations. If I can stop doing that, that's on the path to the Tao that we're looking for, this way of life of peace and joy. Starting by that, that, that moves us in the direction of, of, uh, um, of not being separate, you know, of being one. It really does. That's good. How about, here's a quote from the 12 and 12 that I've, that I actually read this morning in Transitions Daily. Any of you folks in recovery that would like to get all of the, I never talk about this, but you can go to dailyaaemails.com, and it's a, a service, a free service. It's actually an online group that uh, provides all the daily readers, and you can go there and get more information. Also, at the bottom of that URL are a number of podcasts. If you're interested in other recovery podcasts, so they're all at the bottom of that page, too. It's dailyaaemails.com. This is one of the readings from there this morning. We saw that we would need to give constantly of ourselves without demand for repayment. When we persistently did this, we gradually found that people were attracted to us as never before. And even if they failed us, we could be understanding and not too seriously affected. Is that not this path? Yes. <laughs> Giving constantly, it's interesting. We, if we give constantly, we don't change instantly. It says that we, when we persistently did this, we gradually found. <laughs> we have to give constantly, do it pers- persistently, and we gradually change. <laughs> It's a process. It's a process, Paul. Exactly. It's a process. And a practice. But it all goes back to giving of ourselves constantly without demands. That's uh, out of the last of the first paragraph on page 116 in the 12 and 12, if anyone wants to look at that. 12 steps and 12 traditions. Okay. Comments? If not, we'll go to Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer. You know, I'm also thinking about this idea of when I harm uh, you, I'm harming me. Uh, when I hurt you, I'm hurting me. And I'm to give as if my life depends on it, because it does. I've, when I love you, what am I doing? I'm loving me. Yeah. So it's all... It all works. We truly are all connected, whether we like it or not. I mean, I need you. I don't want to need you. I really don't. 
<laughs> but who wants to need another person, right? Well, I really don't. You know, if I had, you know, that's not something I want. But I have found out that I have, I have, I have to love you. I have to. And don't find it. It moves from being this burden to this pleasure, and it brings the, the peace and joy that I'm looking for, that I saw in all these things, all these uh, extravagances that we read. There's, there's something, you know, about why we feel so bad about needing other people. And we, I don't think we should feel that way because everything, in, everything needs everything. You know, the plants need the bees and the sun, the trees need the sun and, we all need, we're all interdependent, you know? We need, I, I'm not going to feel bad that I need somebody. Oh, we shouldn't, Marla. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I'm, that's a, that's a defect of mine, is that, oh, um, definitely. I think a lot of us feel that way. Like, I, don't need, I can do this myself. I don't need anybody. I can do this myself. That's, you know, how I did recovery to begin with. I think what, what's the difference between... Needing someone, needing people, and codependency. It's that, uh, I think it's a, about an attachment. Uh, that co- uh, codependency has an unnatural attachment to that person. Like, I need that person to make me happy. Something like that. Does that, that make sense? I think. Well, it's like need. Meeting others goes back to, I mean, we were in tribes before, you know, major society and, you know, we needed each other to survive. So, I mean, we were built to depend on each other. And in fact, they had much lower rates of depression and anxiety because people had a purpose and everybody had, had a, you know, had a job to do and was necessary for the community to survive and it's not like that anymore. We don't need everybody to raise a village. So communities and kids, I think kids did better back then raised by a whole community rather than by single people, single parents. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, and I think, uh, I'll go ahead, Kurt. I was just going to say the whole, the whole need, need concept is, um, I don't know. It's got me thinking lately because, if I look back at the past, say, 10 years, what I thought I needed, I didn't need any of it. And if I look at 20 years, I didn't need, I don't need the house. I didn't need this. I didn't need this affection from this person. I, I was, I still survived all of it. And I'm just like, I'm wondering what's in my life that I think I need right now that I really don't need. And how is that blocking me? From like what Buddy was saying, you know, the juice is in is in freaking giving back. Is in is in you know walking well. And per, me personally, walking uh, the steps, walking with some, walking them through the step process, and seeing how their life changes. And then you know, what does that do to me? I learn more. I learn more. I'm happier. I mean, I, I, I get so much out of it, and I think I'm just doing it. It's, it's almost like a selfless, selfless act, but it's really not. Um, I'm, I don't know if I believe in selflessness anymore because um, I'm always getting something out of 
of everything I'm doing, whether I'm completely helping somebody else or not. You know, they, they do a locally, they go at a, a rescue mission and they do an annual foot washing. So all the homeless people, you wash their feet. Um, and even that it's an act of major humility on my, on my end, but I mean, you get so much out of it, right? So I, I don't know the whole need thing. And then listening to O's podcast yesterday with that, with the rabbi, it's all about being needed, not needing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really confused. I'm really looking at that and seeing how it's affecting my life. Um, Cause I think I need a lot of things. Oh, that was a good podcast. I think he was talking about how you want to, it's not because you want love, it's like you want to be able to love. You know, that's kind of what I got out of it. I don't know. He, it was an interesting podcast for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to listen to that one. I haven't heard it yet today. I'll listen to it today. The Kirsty, the, uh, Paul, did you have something? I was uh, had a thought on Kirsty's question about codependency, I think that's more an issue of control, wanting to control somebody else rather than just wanting to be with someone. I don't know. Maybe I'm off on that. No, not at all. Or or maybe to be their God rather than to oh, love yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, that's, what about control. that's what you're talking about. Yeah, right. Um, the word need. We require something because it is essential or very important. Something that's essential. Water. Food. You. Connection. (laughs) You guys are essential in my life. Dogs. Edgar. (laughs) Not other dogs I know, but Edgar maybe is essential for you, but... Yeah, not the one next door, right, buddy? Not the one that not it's not essential for me, <laughs> but it may be it's essential for it may be essential for them. So I have to send love their way and hope the best for all of them. Hey, maybe that dog is teaching you patience. Oh, you, that dog's teaching me all kinds of things. <laughs> Must be needed. <laughs> but you know what? This is the thing, Kurt. I, I'm going to have to listen to that one because I haven't I haven't listened to that podcast yet. So I, I'll listen to that. But this idea of, I think the difference between selfish and selfless goes back to what what is my purpose and who is providing the peace and joy that I'm getting from this? Am I providing this by doing something selfish that's all about me? Or am I doing something for someone else and that act itself brings this peace and joy in our life that we were not the source of, then it's a whole different deal. Granted, I get benefit from being selfless. I know that. But I I think it's where where the action's originating from. You know, where where the fruit of the actions originating from. The fruit of me helping someone comes from out comes from my higher power, them, ever however how that works, which I don't have a clue. It's really the God of my misunderstanding, not the God of my understanding. Because I misunderstand everything about it and it's always changing. But what I do know is when I help someone I feel better. When I think about you rather than think about me. 
I, I feel better. So I want to do more of that because I want to feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know. So simple. I, I just do know that that works. I do. And, and it is required. It is a need. Now, you might put a different name on it rather than use the word need, but I need you. Whether I want to need you or not, my ego says I need nobody. Buddy, you can do anything. You just need to work harder and do better. <laughs> then the guilt and all the other stuff that the ego uses to impose upon me, you know. It's a, it's a vicious circle. Vicious, vicious. Y'all ready for Wayne Dyer? All right, 53rd verse. Even if I have even just a little sense, I should walk in a great way, and my only fear would be straying. The great way is very smooth and straight, and yet the people prefer devious paths. That is why the court is corrupt. The fields lie in waste. The granaries are empty. Dressing magnificently, wearing a sharp sword, stuffing oneself with food and drink, amassing wealth to the extent of not knowing what to do with it, is being like a robber. I say this pomp at the expense of others is like boasting of thieves after a looting. This is not the Tao. It is not. Living honorably. <laughs> Imagine that you were able to view the world from a position of complete honor and oneness. Everywhere you looked, you saw the great way and saw all of it as you. From this perspective, every person who's ever existed or will ever exist is part of you, birthed by your source. All of life, the creatures, the land, the ocean, and the vegetation are connected by the Tao. From this perspective, your world would change dramatically. If a critical mass of humanity had the same perspective, seeing the whole globe as part of ourselves would translate to the same respect for every form of life that we have for our individual bodies. And this unity would make the scene that Lao Tzu is describing in this passage impossible. Despite all of our technological advances, the words that the great Chinese master wrote 2,500 years ago still apply. Unfortunately, we are far removed from walking the great way, for we continue to see great divisions rather than a sense of unified oneness. As Lao Tzu admonishes at the end of this verse, this is not the down. One of my favorite translations of this 53rd verse of the Tao Te Ching was written in 1944 by Witter Biner. He expresses it perfectly. See how the fine palaces and see how poor the farms, how bare the peasants' granaries, while, gentries, while gentry wear embroideries hiding sharpened arms. And the more they have, the more they seize. How can there be such men as these who never hunger never thirst, yet eat and drink until they burst. You can see that these conditions still exist today. Whole continents of people experience starvation, while a few in positions of power live in opulence and grandeur. Weapons of destruction receive funding while millions live in poverty. Leaders sit down to overflowing plenitude while the masses scrounge around for ways to feed their families and heat their homes. We have a long way to go before traversing that smooth and straight way of the Tao, for we still take devious paths and see the all-too-painful results of this choice every day. 
but I'm not writing these words to try to change the world in one fell swoop. Rather, I'm doing so to encourage you to change the way you see your world. If you make that modification, others will gravitate toward living honorably as well. When enough of us do this, we will reach a critical mass that will eliminate the boasting of the thieves after eluding. Stop, stop right there for a minute. He's doing this to encourage you to change the way you see your world. It's so easy for me to look and say, yeah, that's wrong. Something needs to be done about that. And me not turn the light around and say, how can I change my world? If we make, if you make that modification, others will gravitate toward living honorably as well. When enough of us do this, we'll reach a critical mass that will eliminate the boasting of thieves after eluding, which we talked about before. Um, yes, starts with us. What was it? We are the change. Is that be the change you wish to see? Be the change you wish to see in the world. Be the change. Hey, that's a good title. Be the change. <laughs> Let me write that down now. I'm going to continue. Begin by seeing yourself as the environment rather than as an organism within it. I've even coined a word to describe when life forms are whole rather than separate. Environ organism, enviro organisms. That sounds better. Understand that you can't survive apart from what it seems isn't a part of you. For you absolutely are the air, the water, the plants, the animals, and everyone else on this planet. Change your worldview to one that completely understands that when anyone else is starving or living in poverty, so are you. See yourself in all others, and you'll find the compassion, love, and willingness that replaces your belief in your uniqueness and differentness. Hold on right there for just a second, Marla. Change your worldview to one that completely understands that when anyone else is starving or living in poverty, so are you. See yourself in all others, and you'll find the compassion, loving willingness that replaces your belief in your uniqueness and difference, differentness. Mm-hmm. But not only in food and poverty, but like we were talking about before, when, when I love you, I'm loving me. But when I hurt you, I'm hurting me. So not only in monetary and things, you know, that we can see like that, it's in the little things too. So if I'm attacking anyone about anything, I'm being attacked too. Pretty much. That's just the way it is. And uh, it took me a long time to start seeing that. When I started, stopped attacking other people, people stopped attacking me for some reason. Funny how that worked. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. I I find this quite difficult because the act of showing compassion for others, and maybe this is part of the process, and being there for other people, for me anyway, is far, far easier than doing it for myself. And I guess that's because when it, you know, I I will always put myself at the bottom of the pile. So, and it's, it's been like that. Well, it's always, it it was masked by ego and attachment and grasping and all of, all of what we were previously discussing. Um, 
for years, whereas now the compassion is there and the willingness to help other people is a driving force. Yet, if I then turn that back around and think, well, okay, you have compassion for others, therefore you have compassion for yourself, that makes absolutely no sense to me at all because I don't. Because you still may see yourself as separate and unique. Not not as separate, but not worthy of that self-compassion. But still seeing yourself as separate. Okay. But you know, that's so deep, Kirsty. It may just take time. Yeah, it's deep, deeply ingrained. It's taken me a long time, years, decade, to find some self-compassion for, for me. And when I have tons for everyone else. And no, the guilt and shame. Myself. The guilt and shame, exactly, Lala. And you know, when we start doing for other people, this is the way it happened for me. I started doing for other people, but I started, I was thinking I was loving people. And this is my overthinking thing, but in hindsight, I can see it. But in real, in retrospect, I was doing things for them, expecting things in return. That's how it started. And when they didn't behave the way I thought they should, I would get upset about it. You know, they, they don't appreciate what I'm doing for them. You know, then I realized there's so much selfishness, even in this idea of me wanting to help someone else. But I knew that was the path, so I kept at it. And with time, even though my actions may have looked the same, with time, my attitude about those actions started changing. And what, what that is for me, I think, is me starting to love myself. Because, you know, there's an aspect, and we read about this actually. I'm in a local group that studies the Letting Go book, Hawkins' Pathway to Surrender. And we were talking about this this week, that me allowing someone to be wrong or to be right, to have their own opinion that's different from mine is an act of love because I'm not imposing on them. It's not really me taking any action. It's me allowing them to be them mm-hmm. without judgment, without me imposing on them in any way. So that in itself is an act of love. That's mm-hmm. an act of giving. But I found that as I started on that path of giving first, very selfishly, and then with time, even though the actions may look the same, I started changing within. And then with time, I started thinking better of myself too. So what I would suggest is just to continue to do the right actions and that will follow. That's been my experience. Comments? Yeah, well, I was just thinking in my limited experience on this, um, being compassionate, that is, and less selfish. Uh, one of the things, I don't know, just thinking about, you know, how, how, how when you're judging others, you're, you're, you're really judging yourself kind of thing, and I've, I've really caught myself in that. So if all of that holds water, what, if, if I'm showing compassion for other people, it's just what you're saying, buddy. I mean, eventually it, it kind of comes full circle because I've noticed I've, I've felt more compassion with say the homeless on the corner that, you know, I'll, I'm the one of those guys that gives them money. 
Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't give them sympathy. I look them in the eye. I smile at them. Um, I, I know they probably have an addiction problem, that sort of thing. So I have compassion that I, I not necessarily had before. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I, I feel like I've had more compassion for myself in the past years, couple years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, I think that's linked. I, I don't know. You know, we change from the inside out. That's been my experience. My actions change last. So if I'm looking for something different in me, my thoughts, which support my fears and my emotions are going to be some of the last things to change too. So that's kind of the way it's been working for me. It's an inside out change, but the action I take is from outside in. <laughs> it's the opposite. It's kind of paradoxical the way that, I don't know if that makes sense, but perfect sense. that's uh, for me, Kirsty. that's how that's worked. And what I would suggest is just keep on doing the right thing that you know is the right thing to do. And more or less really, I don't, I don't want to say ignore how you feel, but, but just because you don't feel a difference immediately doesn't mean it's not working. It's back to that 12 and 12 quote that it's constant, gradual, gradual, much more gradual than I want, but it is a gradual change. Yeah. Ugh. So impatient. We are so impatient. <laughs> I want my patience and I want it now, you know. No. <laughs> I want to be enlightened now. Yeah. Serenity now, you know. Yeah, we're addicts. We want the quick fix, right? That's it. Yes. Uh, <sighs> any more on this that you want to read, Marla? I, I just want to read the, the very last thing about do the Tao now. You read my mind. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. This is do really good Dao. today. Do the Tao now. Make a daily practice of opening your heart in compassion when you see someone less fortunate than yourself. Give him or her a silent blessing rather than a thought of scorn, ridicule, blame, or indifference. Do the same when you learn how many of them were killed in any skirmish rather than rejoicing about the dead enemies. Say a silent prayer of love and compassion. Live honorably. It just takes a little sense. You know, I was, part of my meditation practice has been opening my heart uh, I just listened to the uh, Michael Singer book, A Tethered Soul Again, talking about opening my heart. And so what I've tried to start doing is making a conscious effort just to open my heart as much as possible. And that really does make a difference for me to move toward compassion quicker than what I used to. I'm sorry. Admittedly, I still have a little problem with Nazis and neo-Nazis. I can't, I have a hard time opening my heart. I feel bad that they feel such hatred, but. You, you know, know what, I think about all the hatred I feel for them. <laughs> it goes both ways. It's like hatred begets hatred. I know I'm supposed to have passion, but that's just, just one group. Like, yeah, but for nonsensical yeah. hatred, yeah. hatred doesn't make sense to me. That kind of hatred doesn't make sense to me. So. It's fear. It's fear-based. Yeah, for no reason. 
So, you know, but but opening our heart for me is the first step toward loving instead of hating. It really is me, me being compassionate. If I'm trying to be compassionate for me, that's the first step. Lowering that resistance, mm-hmm. opening my heart. That sounded so silly to me when I first did it. You know, I said, opening my heart. I said, what the, you know. What the yeah. fuck does that mean? You know, I mean, I'm just sitting there going, what, what? You know, because I'm just on overload, you know, that, that can't, what? But it, it worked. And I was like, well, if I feel lighter, I'm going to keep doing it. So I started doing it more and more. And it, and it does work. Any final comments, guys? Then it goes back to, it goes back to what this is saying is we work on ourselves. We can't change neo-Nazis today. Um, you know, so what can we do? What can we do? How can we be more compassionate? What, how can we make a difference in this life right now today with somebody? Um, I don't know. I, I get overwhelmed when I think about organizations and, and uh, politicians and all that stuff because I, I can't do anything about it today. Today, right. You know, Kurt, and I get very – in the same way about the other side on politics because of all the lies that's being told that aren't true too. So I get in the other direction. The sky's always falling when the sky's not falling as bad as what we're told. You know, all the, all the push, all the fear pushes in all the directions, you know, it really is difficult for me to accept all the lies. I'll turn on, TV and I'll be listening to the news and this lie after lie after lie. And I'm like, what is this? I'm supposed to be hearing the news. I'm not hearing news. I'm hearing commentary, not well, news, and you know, and, and it just, I have to just not watch most of it. Right. It's, it's both sides too. It's it not, is. it exactly uh, is. One side does not have the market corner. And, no. uh, and I, cause I see it, you know, I see it, you know, I've got, Right-wingers, I mean, they watch Fox all day. I, I know liberals, they're watching CNN and MNSN, whatever, and and they're just screaming at the TV all day. I'm like, oh, my God. I would I would drink if I had to do that all day. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I'm being, you know, I'm being a little. Uh, I mean, That's that divisiveness that we were talking about, you know, yeah. that separateness. There's truth in all of it, but then there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of there's a lot of lies too on on both sides. Right, right. But that's the problems we have here with our with our politics. It's a fear driven a fear driven uh, system. It's all fear. But anyway, enough of that. If there's nothing else, guys. Y'all have a great week, and we'll take it from there. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.